1: Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I hope you're having a beautiful day, evening, or night, wherever you're listening. Today, I have a great conversation with Kanchan Baskar, And Kanchan is an Indian American and holds a master's degree in social work and a certificate in life coaching. She is also a certified business coach and a successful human resource professional with expertise in training and mentoring. And she has an incredibly inspiring story that she has written a book about called leaving and it's about her arranged marriage that quickly turned into an abusive marriage and how she was able to leave that with three kids, no less, in India, a patriarchal society. So she certainly had the cards stacked against her. And her story is an inspiring one that, you know, can help you if if you're tuning in and find yourself in a toxic or abusive relationship, or maybe, you know, in the future, you end up in in a situation that's not healthy. Um, Some of the steps and actionable tools that you can take to be able to leave all through the lens of how. Kanchin was able to do that for herself. So really an inspiring story today. Even if you're not in an abusive relationship, it's worth listening because there's lots of little nuggets and it's just a really inspirational uh, story. I really enjoyed my conversation with Conchín today. I think you guys will too. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy today's show. Hi, Thanks so much for joining me on the show today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Today, we're going to talk about leaving a toxic or an abusive relationship. And I thought a great place for us to start would be having you tell our listeners about your personal story, how you left an abusive relationship, and then we'll get into the details of how people can summon the courage, find the tools, recognize that they're in a toxic relationship. So let's start with sharing with our listeners your personal story.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh So I was... Uh, caught in an arranged marriage or I found myself in an arranged marriage while I was living in India at the time in New Delhi. Uh, the person that whom I was marrying was a social charmer, a bright young guy, so I was really happy about it. Um, once I got married, he totally changed and uh, it seems that he was a narcissist, uh, violent, angry, and an alcoholic. And when the first time he hit me, my life turned upside down. I was totally lost. I was numb. I was shocked. I didn't know what to do with my life. Like, this is not what I had dreamed about, having such a husband. Uh, And I belong to a very progressive and a very enlightened family, very educated family. So for me, the marriage meant partnership. It meant respect. It meant uh you know, a warmth uh, in the relationship. Um, And this was, uh, you know, something that I dreaded as to what is to be done with this. But then very soon I was blessed with three children. Uh, You know, usually like it happens with victims. uh, It's always like, okay, one slap, it's all right. I can bear this. Let me try more. Okay, one push, it's okay. One Pull. It's okay. One twisting of arm, you know. And then the perpetrator keeps coming back to you every time, falling on your feet, telling you that he will change, crying, and uh, you know you become a prey to that that manipulation. You you just want to make it work somehow, especially when you have three children all lined up. Like I had my first daughter within eleven months of my marriage, and the twin boys came soon after. Um, and I really did not know whom to go to, whom to talk to. That Those were not the internet days where every information was available on Google. I'm talking about early 80s. And uh, there was nobody to help me in that sense uh, of the law was not on my side. It was not ready to protect me. In fact, there was no law about it and uh the society shamed me i would not tell or share anybody out of shame and guilt of you know living with such a person and at the same time if i would go to attorneys they would tell me that if you file for a divorce your children will be divided and either one or three could go to his custody and that was highly unacceptable to me um i kept on pleading my husband uh, at the time that he should go for a medical help, he should go for a therapist. Um, and he would not agree. He would always say that I am the one who needs to go. You know, again, a typical classic behavior of a, of a perpetrator. So till this time, I was thinking that I am, I was not even thinking, sorry, that I was a victim. I did not think it was, uh, uh, abnormal thing happening to me. It was like, I thought it was a normal life for me. This is how it happens. And uh, I can live with it or, you know, I should accommodate to it. And I'm talking about a little bit of a cultural difference also here because in India, the culture is different. It's a patriarch society. Um, men are actually ruling, the, the you know, the household. Um, they are born with the power and the woman is thought to be the one who's serving Those men, so that, uh, again, the cultural difference is also there. So you, a woman is not supposed to pack her two suitcases and walk out. Mm. So you try to accommodate as much as you can. But I did not know what that accommodation meant, how much was one supposed to accommodate. But anyway, uh, a time came when I thought it's enough and I need to stand up on my two feet. And that is the time in my story I am detailing how the angels started coming to my life. And, you know, they were literally God sent mediators for me. And they started to give me the direction as to what I should do, what should be my first step to get free from this man. So when I accepted that I was a victim and I was to set myself free, um, I started to plan it. I started to search how to take the first step. And I kept searching till I found it. And my first step was to draw a roadmap for myself. And I said, okay, this is my current state. I want to be in this future state of being totally free from any kind of adversity, from any slavery, from going, getting out of this imprisonment, along with my three children. They were my priority, obviously. So I drew the roadmap with all the milestones that I needed to take So the first step was, since I was already educated, I didn't have to go for any further education, but my first step was to become financially independent. And I was told by this angel who came into my life and she said that, you know, when I told her that I've got three children, how can you start working? They're toddlers. And she says, don't make excuses. Just go put them in a day boarding, get a nanny for them, you know, do anything that you have to, but go and start working because, you know, you are educated, you can get a job soon. And that's what exactly I did. And the second milestone when I started to work was to put my children into a boarding school so that they are not at home in that pungent environment, you know, very acidic environment it was. And uh, I didn't want to see them the whole hurt that I was getting their mother was getting um, and I wanted to save them from becoming sociopaths in later on in the life and so they went to the boarding schools and then my third step was to buy a home for myself in my own name because my perpetrator will just push me out of the house middle of the night along with the three children anytime he wished and so you know so again, you know, so I built those milestones and I seriously kept going through those milestones. Very sincerely, I was totally committed to getting free because if I was not totally committed and if I made any error of going back on my footsteps, on my milestones, then it could have been very grave for me, you know, and in in those stages, uh perpetrators we don't know what their mind set is they can kill you they can you know do anything um so i was very committed and i kept on moving forward there was no looking back for me and finally when i thought that he's not changing he's not listening and the situation was becoming worse and the violent episodes were becoming very intense and very severe um i thought i have to leave india and go out somewhere and that is where I started to look for agents uh, who can get me visa and you know uh, process my documents. And because I had no knowledge of any process steps, uh, like I said, it was it wasn't Google time where you could you know search things. So um, I met a few agents, and uh, they turned out to be scams. They'll take money from you but not do anything. And finally, I got uh, had it for me. My my belief in universe paid me and i got a chance to come to us along with my three children and this is where i filed for divorce and got my divorce
1: thank you for sharing that personal story and i think it's so powerful because people find themselves in all kinds of situations and abusive relationships in in yours in a arranged marriage patriarchal society three kids it's a lot to prevent someone from leaving and and you were able to do it. And I know it, it wasn't easy. So it's really valuable, I think, for people out there to hear that are in a situation. And I'm not trying to say one is harder than the other. And but uh, I think it's so valuable to, to hear anyone's story. You mentioned the accepting yourself as a victim. And I think that that seems to be the first step and one of the harder steps. And I know in abusive relationships, it's something like it takes seven times to leave and and come back to actually leave permanently, and, and I know from very dear friends of uh, situations where they were in a just a horrible abusive relationship, and this person that I know pretty well kept staying, and and it was like this. No amount of me talking to them could convince them that, hey, you're in an abusive relationship. You are a victim. So what is it there that makes it so hard to accept that? And maybe you can share the things that helped you to, to recognize, hey, I'm a victim.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I think in certain situations or certain culture, the social pressures is one of the big things that you are married with the mindset that this is the person I'm married to. These are the in-laws are my brothers and sisters. Now I've left my own parents and now this is the house from where my dead body will go out. That's the kind of pressure that is on a woman. Um, So that was one big thing that made me stay. And the other things were like, you know, my husband, like I said, he would come and fall in my feet and cry like a baby and, you know, he would say he's going to improve and he'll never do it again. So the compassion of a woman comes out, you know, after all, I was a mother also of three children. And, you know, in Indian society, and I do not know, maybe in other countries too, especially the Asia Pacific and, you know, those countries, um, uh, Eastern Asia, I would say, is um, that we say, okay, fine, you know, he's an alcoholic. Treat him like your fourth handicapped child. You've got three children, where would he go? He's your child. Treat him like a handicapped child. I mean, oh, my God, what a pressure on your mind. Nobody's thinking about you. Everybody is thinking about other, the perpetrator. And um, so there was a long, longest time when I think I was in self-pity. And that self-pity made me so weak that I could not plan or think of leaving that household I mean, he would push me out of the house. Those are the times when I would go back to my parents. Um, And like you said, seven times, yes, it could be seven times with me, seven to eight, maybe. Every time I would come back uh, empty-handed with my children and they would set me up again. And again, he'll come back after one month and take me back. So, you know, that kept on going. And those are the times when you start to think that, okay, fine, you know, I can maybe live with this situation Um, At least I I have my own four walls. I can, you know, he's the one because for me, typical situation was when I would leave and I would, you know, come out, I would see no respect in the society for a single woman. That was another thing that made me think that, okay, fine, at least I am protected in that sense there, that I am not being seen as a person um, who can be just, Uh, I mean who can be just taken you know like you know give me your phone number give me this you know I can can I have a date with you or something like that people wouldn't even have the audacity of thinking about who they were or where they belonged you know so that was another thing uh, that kept me going but Again, like I said, my victim mentality was very strong at the time because I was in self-pity, because I had lost my identity. I had lost myself. I was not in touch with my soul anymore. Um, I had lost my dignity totally. So I was in that psyche that I thought that I am this person now and this is my normal life. So unless you visualize that freedom that you had earlier before marriage or you visualize it after the after, you know, when you are free from this imprisonment, how that could be, you can never realize that you're a victim. So uh, I think I came to that realization only when uh, this this uh, angel came into my life. And they said that you need to set yourself free. Why are you in imprisonment? So, you know, angel is not somebody, they're just like you or me, you know, they are not like people with wings or, you know, something like that. They are normal people uh, who come into your life and they tell you something and you take it as a challenge and you say that is, you know, I think they come at the right time and the right place because same thing, maybe so many people would have told me earlier But I didn't listen to them. But that was the time that it entered my head. And I thought, no, I need to be free. And that is where I started to visualize how the freedom will look like to me. And I said, oh, my God, I can literally fly in the sky once again like a bird, which I used to earlier um, before I got married to him. So why don't I get there again? So that was the awakening for me at that moment.
0: Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Do you want to know one of my favorite meals? It's a slice of toasted bread with tomato, mozzarella, basil, olive oil, salt and pepper, and a little drizzle of balsamic glaze. Makes my heart happy. It's so simple. It's so delicious. And I love that all the ingredients get to show off their individual flavors. I used to eat it No complicated routine, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. If you're looking for skincare products that are simple and effective for a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first One Skin purchase when using the code I do when you check out at oneskin.co. I've been using One Skin's body lotion for about a month and I've already seen noticeable improvements with small wrinkles and textures on my skin, specifically on the back of my neck And the back of my hands, two places where I get a lot of sun. Plus, my skin looks and feels healthier all around.
1: There's so many things that can go on and there's so many different circumstances, but it seems like along the way, like with your story, there can be a realization, hey, this is abusive, but then they come back, you know, saying I'll change and you're like, okay, I'll give them another chance. Or there's just the practical matter. Like you said, like there's kids involved. It's so hard if if you're not financially independent it's like all right i want to leave them but but then what you know so th- there's so many different situations but just having that strength and courage to visualize how it was before to know that you deserve to be loved and and to not be abused and i don't want to minimize how hard it can be to leave because it is it it seems like timing and and circumstance are all these things then Maybe the angel is someone listening to this podcast, you know, at, yeah. to go with that, and that's why your story is so powerful. Were there any things? It seems like you you had this realization of how it was to be free, and then you started to create this roadmap that seemed to be like the real catalyst to like, okay, I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. What would you tell someone, or uh, as far as using that that roadmap as a as a tool to? to actually leave the the toxic-abusive relationship?
2: Right. So once you realize that you are a victim and you visualize the freedom and you build this roadmap, which has to have all the milestones in that, and you can keep building those milestones as you are on that path of freedom, towards freedom. But the first step is also because we are already so weak and we have lost us in those moments of being a victim, we need to get, first of all, get our strength to be able to do that. So it has to be a physical strength as well as the mental strength. So physical strength would mean like, for example, me, I was physically weak too because of the the whole, you know, the whole episodes that were happening and the whole nervous breakdowns that I was having. So I was on substitutes and, you know, going to the doctor and getting B12 injections and whatnot But also I made myself mentally very strong and that took a little bit time, but I was ready to do that. I was ready because that was important. That was my first step. So I think the first step I took was belief in self and belief in self. I got by very small tools and very universal techniques that we all use all the time by those things. I didn't have to Read literature, or you know, go somewhere to ask as to how can I have my belief in myself. It was small things like I just erected some mirrors in the house, and I said, "I am the best." You know, I look best. I am good-looking female. I'm petite. I'm you know whatever made me happy. I started those. So belief in self entailed things like self-care for me, and self-care meant both physical and mental. And emotional. So uh, that was the first thing that I did. I started to go to salons I, because I was earning. I had little financial freedom. So, you know, I'll color my hair and things like that. So I started to look better, walk erect, um, have that mindset that I am that Kanchan, which I used to be a strong woman who fought against right of women at that time uh, towards the rights of women. Um, and uh, I have to become that back again. So belief in self was one self-compassion. I brought in compassion for myself. I was, uh, you know, giving that leverage to myself that, you know, I am in pain, um, but I don't have to be in pain, you know? Mm -hmm. So for those, for that, I started to rewire my brain and rewiring uh, is something that really works for everybody, you know? I mean, you can definitely read some um, literature on that or, you know, there are certain books that have come out. uh, But I think the first book that I read uh, much earlier uh, before I got married was, uh, it came handy to me. And um, that meant that I could change my neural pathways by chanting or by having a mantra and keep on repeating that in my head. So if I do that, then I can overwrite all the negative thoughts that are into my head with the positive thoughts. So I started to take walks and I would chant an Indian mantra uh, in my my head. And I would do that, like, you know, I'll keep walking, keep walking and keep chanting. Um, And initially... I didn't know what I was doing because the thoughts were still in my head. But as you keep doing it and you do not leave it, you you continue to do that practice, um, then you start to hear the chanting. And then you start to, you know, realize that your mindset is becoming a little bit more positive because now you start to see those green trees and you start to see that you know, little rabbit running in the park and you see the red flower. So you know that, you know, something positive is happening to you. And I also started visual, a uh, creative visualization where I would sit in a corner and uh, to create some space for myself in my head, I would uh, just visualize some beautiful uh, things like I love nature. So I would visualize mountains and oceans and you know, the this infinite sky and this the um the rising of the sun and the hue in the sky at the time. So that gave me a lot of peace. That gave me a lot of space in my head to think about myself. So that belief in self worked for me and parallelly, I was having a lot of faith in universe. So belief in universe was my another tool that I used for myself was that I said universe is a friend of mine, universe is benevolent to me, universe is kind, is going to help me. My blueprint is already there. We cannot change that, you know. But the the, the other thing that I could do was to make my journey a little bit more easier for myself by not having the hurt and walking, you know, like a zombie all the time. I can live my life a little bit better and Maybe the God will be even more happier that he's given me like this life and I'm smiling, you know, not crying with the life that he has given me. So I think that faith in universe worked for me a lot. The, all these angels, his mentors, his collaborators that gave me the direction and uh, I started to have a lot of intuition. You know, my gut feel would work whether, um, you know, this is okay for me or this is not okay for me. I would literally stand out in the wilderness and look at the sky and say, God, give me direction. And I would get the direction. So I think that faith worked for me a lot. And then, you know, afterwards, after I got the freedom, I think I started to work towards faith and spirituality a lot. And uh, I became a pretty spiritual person which means that I'm not a yogi or something of that nature. I live my life uh, along with it. But um, I think what spirituality means is just to be a good human being. And that's what, you know, I tried to do and did some meditation and did some chanting and, you know, being mindful and those things. So that gave me a lot of uh, solace and tranquility
0: tranquility and uh, peace of mind. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Hey, Love Tribe, I just want to ask you a few questions. I want to know why you guys are here. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner? Do you want to feel truly heard? Are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life? Or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner? And let's not forget about the fun. Do you long for those fun, giggly moments at the beginning of your relationship? Over the last decade of hosting this podcast with Chase, these have been our top questions. And we get it. We've been there. And that's why we created Spark My Relationship course. Because we wanted to put the tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. So we're offering this course, Spark My Relationship, for only $100 until April 6th. In less than 90 days, this self-paced course will help you create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner, all while having fun doing it. We've collaborated with over 15 psychologists and therapists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their client. This offer is only going to last until Saturday, April 6th. So head on over to our website, sparkmyrelationship.com, and use the code FLASH24 at checkout to get the course for only $100. That's nearly 60% off, and it won't last. The sale ends April Six. That's sparkmyrelationship.com and use the code flash 24 to get our course for only $100. Hey, love tribe, I have just a few questions for you. I want to know why you are here listening to the podcast. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner and you want to feel truly heard? Or are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life? Or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner? Or do you just long for those fun, giggly moments of connection that you used to have at the beginning of your relationship? Well, over the last decade of hosting this podcast, those were the main reasons people tuned into the show. And we get it. We've been there. So we created our course, Spark My Relationship, because we wanted to put those tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. We're offering $100 off our course, Spark My Relationship, which is a self-paced course designed to help you create more passion, improve your communication, and build a strong more intimate connection with your partner, and have an amazing time doing it. We've collaborated with over 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their clients. So to unlock this special offer of our course, our listeners can visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock to get $100 off. That's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock.
1: What would you share with someone most, a majority of our listeners are from the U.S., Canada, Western countries where, not India, where arranged marriages might be fairly common. Seems like they are. Could you share with myself and and the listeners just what that's like and just culturally, not to mention being in an abusive arranged marriage, but just arranged marriage in in general and how that colors your approach to relationships. And then now that that you're living in the West, how you think of that in in that context?
2: Yeah, sure. So in India, the arranged marriages had been popular for time immemorial because of one big reason that India is a socialistic society. It is not an individualistic society. So people are normally into joint families, you know. So when I was in India, 95% of India was into joint, joint families. And only 5% India, which was becoming urban India, where the industrialization was happening, uh, was the India where there were nuclear families. So 95% of the families believed in uh, arranged marriage because they thought that we are grown-ups, we have lived life, the elders would think that, and uh, we know better what would be good for our son or our daughter. And the marriage ages were very young at that time. You know, the people, the boys will get married at eighteen, and the girl would be sixteen. So the, you know, they didn't have a, a cut off, you know, age for eighteen. You can't get married before eighteen. So, um, so in the family, you know, wherever there was a word of mouth, the aunts and the uncles and others would start to look for a match for the groom or the bride. Much earlier in life, you know, the children would be growing and they'll say, oh, you know, his son, I'll get married to my daughter kind of a situation. So that had been always uh, being done or otherwise, uh, normally there would be a woman uh, who would be known in the community who would go to house to house and she would know who's growing up, who's becoming 18 years old. And, you know, she'll be the one of your contact person to ask. So, yes, ma'am who's the girl in the community for my son that so typically for me in my family, since my parents were, we didn't have many relatives. My mother was a single child and my father happened to be a single child in their family. So we didn't have very many close relatives. So instead of, uh, uh, you know, I mean, there was a freedom for me to get into a relationship. Not that I was bound by just being an arranged marriage, because like I said, it was an educated family. Um, But somehow I didn't have any eyes on one particular guy. You know, we used to move in groups and I was happy in that. Um, So. So for my marriage, it was an arranged marriage, but then ad was given in a newspaper. That's what typically happens in urban areas where you don't have, you know, already set uh, matches you give an advertisement in a matrimonial column in a national newspaper on a weekend and say, like for me, they would have said a suitable match required for an educated masters in social work girl, um, five feet, two inches. Um, And I told them to write caste, no bar because India has a very popular caste system. Mm, And I said, I don't care about caste. You know, I'm, I want an educated, bright guy, intelligent person, but, So we wrote that. So that is how it happens. And then the boy comes to see the girl and their family comes and the girl is sitting there shy and showing her, you know, simplicity and naivety. And and the boy's family then selects whether this girl is good or not good enough for a boy. Uh, But in my case, like we were allowed to go into the other room and talk to each other and figure out whether we will get along with each other. So that, that was there. But now with changing times, a lot of globalization has happened. The world has become flat. India is full of call centers. So all the, you know, American companies are there and the UK companies are there, German and whatnot. So with the call center culture, the urban India has increased, expanded from 5% to almost 30%. So people from the rural rural India are now migrating to urban India for uh, jobs, employment. So out of convenience, I think now the girls and boys have started to live together. And like I said, there's a lot of westernization that is happening. I mean, you'll be amazed. I get amazed when I go to India. Girls with all these tattoos and, you know, um, showing their navels and, you know, like everything. Thing. So it's become quite a bit like, like I see things here. Uh, so there now it has become popular to have love marriages. Uh, my time it was a scandal, and people would gossip and say, "Oh, you know that girl, she had an affair." But uh, things have changed, and here when I see, you know, it's good to have a love marriage or in For me, what I feel is that it's a gamble. Marriage is a gamble. Uh, You may be in love with the person for 10 years. And once you sign on that paper, things may change, you know, because then people come to their actual personalities, who they are, and things can change. So for me, if you ask me, it does not make a difference whether it is arranged or love, but I think it is very important to know the person, even if it's arranged, uh, a time should be given to the couple to to see each other more often uh, before they actually get into marriage and live with each other and know each other for all the 24 hours of the day. You know, whether he um, throws his uh, undergarments on the floor before he takes a wash and never picks them up or, you know, things like that. So my three children, I allowed all them three, not allowed, but they had all live in relationships before they have gotten married and they are very successful so far. And uh, my boys have gotten married to Italian girl, one of them, the other is a European girl. um, And they're very happy. So
1: with the arranged marriage, if two families arrange a man and a woman to get together, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to, Get married that they have to, or is that kind of like what happens most of the time?
2: So now things have changed, like I said. Now they meet each other, now they have a say. Even the girl has a say now that you know, I didn't like the boy. But earlier it wasn't like that. But things are changing now. There's a lot of uh, enlightenment coming i think the laws have changed like you know the protection law for women has changed there's a law in 2013 which has come out for sexual against sexual harassment for women working um in in uh, jobs so things are changing a little bit but not the whole lot i would say the whole lot will change it will take about 50 years for it to change a whole lot
1: yeah it's fascinating culture obviously impacts our relationships in any number of ways, but just a a culture that is completely different from the West and, and the arranged marriages and the patriarchal society and the caste system. I mean, it's all very fascinating to me and it, and it deserves its own separate podcast. But it's just <laughs> it's interesting and valuable, your entire story. But just to have perspective, just someone listening that that's in the US, Canada and, and lots of places where they have the freedom to to choose who they want to be with and not have, you know, intense societal pressures, because sure, there's pressures in the West, you know, to get married and, and this and that. But it seems pretty soft compared to, you know, some more fundamental cultures, some older cultures like like India that I think of that it's just very it's like maybe what the U.S. was in, in the 50s as far as culturally acceptable norms of of uh, how we maneuver through relationships. So it's good to hear that things are progressing over there. And I think it's really valuable to share your story because there's people all over in the world in different cultures experiencing toxic, abusive relationships. And like I said, that they can be hard to leave no matter, no matter where you are. But, but the circumstances in which you found yourself to me is uh, some of the harder ones to be in. So it's valuable for someone listening to go look like Kanchen had, had the decks stacked against her big time and was still able to find a way. So thank you for sharing. Um, before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online, a little bit about your book, and then if there's anything we skipped over or something you want to emphasize, and then we'll say goodbye.
2: Okay sure. So you can find me on my website kanchanbhaskar.com it's k a n c h a n b h a s k a r.com and all my information you'll find on that um you know the excerpts from the book the brief summary of the book and my details etc etc um the only thing that i would like let me tell the name of the book. It's Leaving, uh, How I Set Myself Free from an Abusive Marriage. Uh, and you know, I've already shared a little bit of my story with you. The couple of things that I would want to say, and we have also talked already in the in the podcast, um, in a recording, but uh, just to repeat is that um, I think it's very important that the abused speaks up The victim needs to speak up. I mean, we don't speak up. We just keep suffering behind the closed doors, inside the four walls. And if we don't speak up, we cannot be protected. So we need to speak up. We need to uh, tell our colleagues. We need to tell our parents, our friends, our family, even our neighbors. And I think the first thing for safety would be, especially in the countries where Guns are found in, you know, most of the households Uh, to protect yourself. It's important that you have all your documents and your uh, car keys in a pouch and kept outside somewhere hidden so that if a dire circumstance arise, you can run out and, you know, get into your car and get away um, instead of coming into the hands of the perpetrator at that moment. So that is very important. And the second thing I want to say is that we are born free. And freedom is our right. So let's not be slaves of anybody. It is doable. If I could get myself the freedom in such a difficult situation, I think anybody can do that. So let us commit ourselves and just walk towards it. And I'm sure you'll be able to do it.
1: Well, thank you for that inspiring message. And we'll have all of those links in our show notes and on our website. And I appreciate you taking the
2: time to come on the show today. Thank you so much, Chase. It was such a blessing to be talking to you.
0: with your partner, or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day.
1: You are listening to a pleasure podcast.